I'm Chuck Lee Master with Team Faith, and as always, it's a privilege to be here, to be with you guys on, and, uh, on, on the world's greatest and best, largest off-road racing series. I know that sounds cliche, but truly, I'm blessed to be here. I'm, I'm blessed that you are here, and I, I'm praying that you'll be blessed that you're here too, okay? So, uh, man, what a, what a crazy couple of years that we've had. I know that at this point in 2022, like COVID's a curse word. We don't want to talk. We don't want to talk about that. We're so so tired of it. But the thing is, it's kind of invaded our lives in more ways than one. 2020 was a crazy year. 2021 was an uncertain year. Now we're in 2022. We're like certainly, certainly things have got to ease up. And we, I, I watch the news and I see there's a, a trucker convoy up in Canada that has leaders in America more scared than they are up in Canada. And I'm like, all right, mandates are lifting all of a sudden. It's, a, it's an election year. And I know I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh my gosh, I came to church to get away from politics. What's he doing? <laughs> Let me tell you, as Christians, I am more concerned about the truth. But the thing is, is that what used to be called politics is now today just life. Like our five-year-olds have to have these conversations. And so as Christians, I am convinced that we are to engage the culture in which we live. And so that's what we do here at GNCC Church is we engage the, the, the culture in which we live. And we do it by the truth that's found only in the Word of God. The Word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so as Christians, we should, uh, we should know how to engage in this culture. And so that's what we're going to get into tonight, and that's what we're going to get into for the rest of the year. But first, let me go to the Lord. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us to this place. Thank you for your word that's been preserved through the ages and that it is still relevant to us. May I be accurate, your accurate spokesperson here on GNCC tonight and the rest of this season. We love you. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So with that, let's just dig into it tonight. 2 Kings chapter 22 is where we're going to start the evening out. And this is what it says. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father, or more accurately, David his ancestor. Now, let's, let's stop the train and back it up a little bit here so that we get the full picture and understand what's going on here. It's 2022 right now. About 4,000 years ago, God came to a guy named Abram. He said, Abram, I'm going to do a thing with you. And you know this. It's the Abrahamic covenant. God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham. And through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. I'm going to use you to do it. So the Abrahamic covenant is a three-part. Abraham, you are going to be a father of a great nation with lots of people, lots of land. Through you, the entire earth is going to be blessed. And so Abraham has a son who has two sons. One of those sons has 12 sons, becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. They're in slavery and captivity in Egypt for 400 years. And Moses leads them out. They come to the promised land. Joshua leads them across the Jordan River. They go into the promised land. About the next 400 or 500 years, they're led by judges. And then in 1050 BC, so 1050 years before Christ, Saul is anointed as the first king of Israel. And then you fast forward the story about 400 years. You'll find 18 different kings have been the king uh, of, of, this, of this God's chosen people. And you come to from Saul all the way to Josiah. 
And it says that Josiah was a righteous king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. But the thing is, Josiah was only one of a very small handful of kings who were good. Most of the kings were awful, wicked people. Matter of fact, you would read about them, and then the very next sentence would say, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all of his fathers before him. And so by the time Josiah becomes king, this nation of Israel, the small, actually they had a, a little division, it's the nation of Judah now, just the southern tribes, has been so far off the rails it's not even recognizable from 400 years prior when Saul was anointed king. They've turned the temple of God into a pagan shrine, Satan worshiping happening inside the temple that had been dedicated to God. They're sacrificing their children to the pagan god Molech, to, basically to Satan. I mean, it's a wicked, you, you don't recognize the place. And so the question we have is, well, well, Josiah is eight years old when he's king, right? How did he know to be a good king and to be a righteous king? Well, we don't know anything about the first 18 years of his reign. What we do know is that in the 18th year of his reign, when he's 26 years old, he commissions the priest of the temple, uh, Hilkiah. He says, Hilkiah, renovate the temple. Here's the funds that you need to renovate the temple. Hilkiah, while he's renovating the temple, he comes across some scrolls, the law of God. And Hilkiah goes to Shaphan, the secretary. He says, Shaphan, I found the, the law of God. And I've read it, and it's amazing, and you need to take this to the king and to present it to the king. And so Shaphan, the secretary, takes the, the scroll, and he reads it to King Josiah when Josiah is 26 years old. And as Josiah hears the words of the Lord, the law of the Lord, which would include the first five books of the Old Testament, he hears the law of the Lord, and he, at the end of it, he tears his clothes. And he's, he's saddened, and he's, he's crying. He's like, oh my goodness, we are so far off course from where we originally started, a covenant with God, and we are so far off course, I don't even know what to do next. And so Josiah says, hey, Hilkiah and Shaphan and a couple other of my advisors, go inquire of the Lord what we are to do. And so Hilkiah the priest and Shaphan the secretary and these advisors, they go and they find a prophetess which means a female prophet. Her name is Huldah. They go to Huldah and they say, Josiah wants to know what is God going to do? And Huldah says, God is going to do everything that he said he was going to do in the book of the law. And when you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, that's the if-then passage. If you obey the words of the Lord, then you will be blessed. If you disobey the words of the Lord, you're going to be cursed. And Huldah says, he's going to do everything that he said he was going to do. But Josiah, because you have inquired of the Lord, you have humbled yourself before him, God's not going to bring judgment during your time that you're alive. And with that, Josiah just full throttle into righteousness. Man, he tore down the pagan temples. He burned the idols. He turned the valley of Molech where they were sacrificing children. He turned it into a burning garbage dump called Gehenna, which Jesus even referred to 400 and some years later in the New Testament. I mean, Josiah just went on it. He did what I would love to do. He burned down every porn shop. He bulldozed the gambling halls. He outlawed the lottery. I mean, he went all in. Problem is, the people weren't with him. Even though he was the king and they had to do what he said to do, the people's hearts were still hard. And we know this. We know this because there were a couple of other prophets that were alive during that time. And a couple of them, they even wrote books. One of them was called Habakkuk. Now, I recently heard a linguistics expert 
who could speak Hebrew said that the pronunciation is Habakkuk. And that just doesn't sound right to my redneck ears. So we're sticking with Habakkuk. All right? So Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk is a prophet during the time of Josiah. And here's what Habakkuk writes. He writes, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you don't seem to hear? He says, I cry violence and you don't save. I'm forced to see iniquity. And I'm like, preach it, Habakkuk. Like everywhere I look, I'm seeing iniquity. The Super Bowl, the halftime show. Everybody says it was the greatest show ever. I walked out when 50 Cent came out with his hoochie mamas. I'm like, man, I don't need to see this. Iniquity's everywhere. And everybody's saying, man, this is great. This is good stuff. I don't understand. So Habakkuk, I'm like, you preach it, buddy, man. You're on a tear here. He says, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention. People are divided like nowhere, no time before. I'm like, man, are you sure this was 2,600 years ago? It sounds pretty familiar to me. He says, the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. The wicked are surrounding the righteous. And so justice, when it does go forth, it goes forth perverted. I'm like, preach back. <laughs> Did you guys catch it? Thursday, as I was on my way up here listening to the news, that, that, uh, that Quentin Brown that had gone into the Louisville office and tried to shoot up one of the mayoral candidates, he, he took a gun, he tried to kill this guy along with his four associates, nine shots fired, zero hits. He's a terrible shot, thank God. He got arrested for attempted murder. His bail was set at $100,000. There was a nonprofit in Louisville that raised bail money for him, and he's a free man now. I mean, just where's the justice? I'm like, Habakkuk, man, you're preaching my language here. And then God answers Habakkuk. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. In other words, God says, Habakkuk, I'm on the throne. I'm the one weaving this tapestry. You don't understand it. You wouldn't even believe it even if I explained it to you. And then God explained it to him. He says, For I, behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. I'm raising up the Babylonians. They're dreaded and fearsome. They're accountable only to themselves. They gather captives like the sand. And I'm going to bring these guys in. I'm going to use them to accomplish my purposes. And then I'm going to judge them too. God still had the plan. We know, we know the history. If you know Old Testament history, you know that's exactly what happened, is that the Babylonians did march in, did take captives. God did use them. God did judge them. But at the time of Josiah, this is what Habakkuk was saying. It's like, man, the people's hearts are so hard. And then Josiah does die. He actually gets into a battle with the Pharaoh Necho of Egypt. Not a wise move on his part. We don't read that he had prayed about it. He just kind of charged in there. He got killed. And that was the end of Josiah's reign. After Josiah uh, died, it, it's recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 35, Jeremiah also uttered a lament for Josiah. The next king was Jehoahaz, who lasted all three months. And then uh, Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim is when the Babylonians indeed marched on, on Jerusalem and took captives. And Nebuchadnezzar set up a vassal state. And he said, you guys can still be a nation. You're kind of my property now. And I appoint Zedekiah is going to be the king. And here's what 2 Chronicles says about Zedekiah. Zedekiah did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet. And ultimately, Zedekiah angered Nebuchadnezzar so bad that Nebuchadnezzar sent his army back to Jerusalem, completely surrounded the city, sacked it, defeated it. Zedekiah tried to escape. The, the Babylonian generals caught Zedekiah and his family killed his sons in front of his eyes and then gouged out his eyes. So the last thing that he saw was the worst thing that he could possibly remember. And then carried him off into captivity into, uh, into Babylon and 
Jerusalem was no more and there were no more kings. And that was the end of that. So people thought. But it only lasted for 70 years. 70 years to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. This is Second Chronicles 36. Fulfill the word of the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths all the days that it lay desolate. It kept the Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. If you read the book of Deuteronomy, you heard the, the Shemitah year. Every seventh year, the land was to lay fallow. They weren't supposed to harvest the crops. Yet for 490 years, they had not observed that. And so God got his time back. 70 years the land rested while Judah was in captivity. But you know, a couple times here, actually three times now, we've said the name of a prophet. Did you guys catch it? It's Jeremiah, right? We've heard about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet during the time of Josiah, during the time of Zedekiah. And Jeremiah is a very recognizable name. He's like one of those major prophets. We heard about Habakkuk. He's a, he's a minor prophet. You know, his, his, his book was only like seven chapters long. Jeremiah's got this really long chapter. You got Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah, the four major prophets. So Jeremiah is like this big time dude. And he is actually the hero of our story tonight. Jeremiah is who I want to look at. Because the landscape that Jeremiah stepped into is ringing some bells with me. It's kind of like the, the, the end of the history of this nation that he's a part of. And he can see the storm clouds on the horizon. He sees bad things happening. He sees incompetent leadership. And he's always calling it out. And people don't want to listen. And, you know, over the winter break, I'm like, man, I'm really kind of upset about some of the things happening in my country. How should I, as a Christian, how should I relate to this? And I thought, man, let's look at Jeremiah. So let's, tonight, let's look at Jeremiah and let's see what lessons can we learn from Jeremiah. Here's the first, here's how Jeremiah starts out. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in the land of Anathoth in the land of Benjamin during the time of Josiah all the way through Zedekiah at the end. You've heard that name before, Hilkiah. Hilkiah was the priest that found the scrolls and said, oh my goodness, we need to read this to the king. Now it's ironic that, he, that Hilkiah is a priest and didn't even know about the scrolls. But remember, the temple had been turned into a satanic cult temple. And yet Hilkiah was of the old lineage of priests to serve the Lord, to serve Yahweh, and he found the law of the Lord. He found the word of God. Not only did he read that to the king, have it read to the king, who else could you imagine might have had access to hear the words of the Lord? Could it be the priest's own son? I mean, I'm speculating here but I don't think that's too much of a stretch. You see, this has power in it. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It discerns truth from fiction. This is what we bank our lives on. This, the Word of God, changed Zedekiah's life. Or not Zedekiah, it changed Josiah's life. It changed my life. And I believe Jeremiah was also a student of the Word of God. So there's our first lesson. The Word of God makes a huge, huge difference in our lives. So let's continue reading. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah writing. He's saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah says, Oh God, I don't know how to speak. I'm just a kid. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. 
So here's the next point. This is a good one, y'all. <laughs> you were created on purpose for a purpose. Now, I'm smiling as I say that because this is round number one. We've got 12 more races to go. If you come to this, you will probably hear 12 more times you were created on purpose for a purpose. I say it all the time. I can't get over it. That we are his workmanship. This is what this is how the Apostle Paul put it in the book of Ephesians. When he wrote to that early church in Ephesus, he says, We are his workmanship, created anew in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Nobody is here by accident. God created you. He put a passion for dirt bikes and four-wheelers in your heart. And he has a plan to use that to expand the landscape of eternity, to expand his eternal kingdom. But let me guarantee you one thing. You were created anew in Christ Jesus for the works that he prepared for you beforehand. He's got a purpose for you. You will never accomplish that purpose aside from Jesus Christ. You can win the championship of your class. You can win the national championship this year. But apart from Jesus Christ, you will never accomplish your purpose. You can be the best. You can be the richest. You can be the most successful. You will never accomplish your purpose apart from Jesus Christ. Let that sink into you and realize that every breath that you take, every moment that you have is to bring your Father glory. You were created on purpose for a purpose. This realization sunk into Jeremiah. He said, okay, I'm in. I'll be a prophet even though I'm young and even though I can't speak. And he goes out there and, and he sees. He sees ahead and he knows that there's disaster coming. Some Holy Spirit inspiration there, I'm sure. He's a prophet, so God's speaking to him. At the death of jo Josiah, he's, he's a prophet of the next kings. These kings are wicked. They're stubborn. They're hard-hearted. They're corrupt. And uh, we get to Jeremiah chapter 12. So he's a prophet. He's speaking truth. Hard hearts. Jeremiah chapter 12, Jeremiah writes, he says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. God, I know you're good. I just need to vent for a second here because I don't understand. I mean, I, I've been there. I don't know about you, but there are times when I just kind of need to let loose on God a little bit. And this is what Jeremiah does in Jeremiah chapter 12. He says, Yet I would plead my case before you. And he says, Why? Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root and they grow and they produce fruit. <laughs> I don't know that I should have done this on my way here to this race, but I started listening to an audiobook. I started listening to Red Handed by Peter Schweitzer. It's all about it's all about the corruption at the highest level of, of our well, I say politics, but it's the corruption that's in our Congress and in our White House. About pay-for-play schemes that are out loud in the public eye that we've never heard about. I mean, it's not even hidden anymore. And the wickedness that's the, using political positions, see, my blood pressure's already going up. That's why I shouldn't listen to it. I'm not on heart medication yet, but I need to be now because this book was crazy. It was mind-blowing. Like the, the political position that you use for, for wealth that's sacrificing our country. This is mind-blowing. And Jeremiah's like, why do the wicked prosper? Why do they get away with it? And I'm like, preach it, Jeremiah. You got my attention, buddy. He says, how long? But you, Lord. Oh, I lost my place here. He says, it gets worse because you are near in their mouth and far from their heart. Man, do you not cringe every time a politician quotes something from the Bible? It's like, oh, that's like, it's like grating chalkboard to my ears when I hear that. You're near in their mouth, far from their heart, but you know me, Lord. You know me, you see me, you test my heart towards you. 
pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. Preach it, Jeremiah. We're about to get a Pentecostal up in here. Preach it, brother. Slaughter like sheep. How long? He says, how long will the land mourn and the grass of the field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it and the beasts and the birds are swept away because they said he will not see our latter end. They're ruining our great country. I mean, you can't print money and expect that inflation's not going to happen, right? I mean, he's, he's on it. They're ruining things. And then God answers. And you know this is going to be good because Jeremiah, he had legitimate complaints. And I have legitimate complaints. And God says, If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? Well, that's not really what I was expecting. God goes on. He says, And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of Jordan? In other words, Jeremiah, look around you, man. If this wears you out, what are you going to do when it really gets tough? I made you for more, and I expect more out of you, Jeremiah. I didn't call you to be a prophet so you'd be like everyone. I created you so that you could run with horses. thing is, God doesn't just drop the microphone right here. He goes on. He says, but if any nation will not listen to you, then I will utterly pick it up and destroy it. And that's verse 17. If you read the verses in between there, you find out that Jeremiah, although he was complaining, God was hearing him because God reiterated every single point that Jeremiah made. For example, in verses 10 and 11, God says, They have made my land a pleasant portion. Uh, they have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They, they've made it a desolation. Desolate. It mourns to me. You're right, Jeremiah. It mourns to me. But here's our third thing that we can learn from Jeremiah quit whining. Quit whining. For me, I was in the army at, at, at a younger age. I was in the army. And I think God would just say to me, Chuck, if you can't make it through basic training, what makes you think you're going to get through ranger school? Like, ranger school? I hadn't even thought of that. No. You as a Christian, you are the elite. You are the ones with God's very inspired word. You've got this right in your hand. And if you don't have your, the word, I've got it up here. I'll give away Bibles all day long if you need to get the word. Because you have the ultimate truth. You are God's elite. You are the ones that make a difference in this world. We are the ones that make a difference. And God says to Jeremiah, Dude, I called you for more than this. Quit whining and just get about the work. He says, that, he says tell the truth. That's your number one job. Be wise, be shrewd, but tell the truth. And stand up for the truth. And Jeremiah says, Okay, I'll do it. Until chapter 15. We get to chapter 15. I mean, that was, that was chapter 12. Quit whining. Chapter 15. Jeremiah's been doing good. Chapter 15. Here's where we are. Verse 15. Oh, Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance on me for my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake, I bear reproach. Jeremiah's like, they're calling me a liar. I'm the one telling the truth and they're calling me a liar. They're, they're the ones, they ignore me, they mock me, they ridicule me. And I'm doing what you told me to do. I sat alone because your hand was on me. Why is my pain unceasing? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? In other words, I don't sense your presence at all. I'm out here doing all of this for you, and it's hard work, and I don't even sense that you're with me. I don't even sense that you care. And God replies, Oh, Jeremiah, I had no idea you felt that way. Come over here so I can give you a hug. No, God doesn't say that at all. Jeremiah poured his heart out, and God's response? Therefore, thus says the Lord, 
If you will return, I'll restore you. <laughs> what? I mean, Jeremiah, he just poured out his heart to God. He's got, these, he's got these problems. He doesn't even feel God's presence. And God says, if you return, I'll restore you, and you'll stand before me. If you utter what is precious, Jeremiah, and not what is worthless, you shall be my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. I actually like the way the New International Version puts this, this last statement. It says, you must influence them. Do not let them influence you. And that's where we are tonight. That's our fourth thing that we can learn from Jeremiah. You are to influence them. Do not let them influence you. You see, every single person sitting here, you have influence. Not only were you created on purpose and for a purpose, God put this love of racing and GNCC in your heart, and He's got a purpose for you out here. Your purpose is to influence them. Don't let them influence you. It is so easy to get brought down by the world. You see, we started our evening setting up uh, some context. Here's the time that Jeremiah was a prophet. Here's what was happening in, in his home country. Here were the circumstances that he had to deal with. By the way, they kind of overlap with our circumstances here. I get focused on my circumstances. Jeremiah got focused on his circumstances. And God said, if you return to me, I'll use you. I think this point is for me tonight. Like Chuck, if you'll utter precious words and not worthless words, then you can be my spokesperson. You are to influence them. Don't let them influence you. Pretty sobering thought for me. I know it is for all of us as well as we see the chaos going on in the world. But what happened with Jeremiah? Where did he go from here? Well, I'll take you through it real quick. Chapter 20, Jeremiah calls out lies with the truth and he gets beat and he gets put in stocks. As soon as he gets released from the stocks, he turns to the priest. There was a priest of all people that put him, had him beat and put in the stocks. He turns to the priest. He says, I'm changing your name. You're no longer going to be called Pashur. You're going to be called Magor Misabib, which means terror on every side. And then Jeremiah just doubled down on the truth. He restated the truth that he'd already said. He's like, you're a terror and nobody likes you. And here's the truth of God. And he just doubles down on the truth. The stocks, the beating, none of that made a difference to him. Chapter 26, he again speaks the plain truth. And this time, they threaten him with death. And so again, he reiterates his point. He doubles down on the truth. At the end of it all, he says, so kill me. And they didn't have the stones to do it. Interestingly enough, in that passage, they killed another prophet, but they didn't touch Jeremiah. You see, God had told him, and I am with you to save you and to deliver me. God said that at the end of that passage when he said, if you'll return to me, then I'll use you. He says, I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail. For I am with you to save you and deliver you. And Jeremiah went forth with boldness and with truth. Chapter 37, actually 36, Jeremiah gets banned from the temple by the evil king Jehoiakim. And so since he's banned from the temple and he's not allowed to go into the king's courtyard, he writes down the judgment on a scroll and he sends the scroll to the king. And as this judgment is pronounced against the king, it's read against the king, the king cuts the scroll, cuts off that little piece of the scroll, and he burns it in the fire. And more judgment is pronounced and he takes it off and he burns it in the fire. And at the end of the, of the judgment being read, the king puts out a hit on Jeremiah and his secretary Baruch and they have to go into hiding. Chapter 37, Jeremiah is falsely accused. 
He's arrested. He's beaten. He's imprisoned. Chapter 38. He's put into a well. He's lowered down into a well that's supposed to be full of water so that he will drown. But there's not enough water in the well to drown him. And it says he sinks in the mud. Eventually, Nebuchadnezzar comes, conquers the land, puts Jeremiah under a, a suedo house arrest. Um, there's some more drama. Jeremiah, there's a, there's a, a capture, and, and he gets drug off to Egypt. But no matter where he goes, no matter what his circumstances are, he stands up for the truth. And he does it with such boldness that it is completely undeniable. Gone is the Jeremiah of Jeremiah chapter 12 and chapter 15. This is the Jeremiah that is the major prophet of the Old Testament. Bold, inspired, strong, and full of truth. You see, every single person here, we have that sphere of influence. We have that purpose that will never get to that purpose apart from Jesus Christ. And so the challenge tonight is to make Him the Lord of your life. And it starts with having a personal relationship with Jesus. If you've never, if you don't call yourself a Christian, if you've never had a time where you said that you, where you've confessed your sin to God and said, I need a Savior, that's your first step. That's entering into a relationship with the Creator of the universe through His Son, His only Son, Jesus, who came to this earth to live the perfect life that none of us could ever live, sacrifice himself on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin, my sin, and it's by faith that I reach out and I say, God, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus in my life. I accept Jesus. I accept that gift of salvation. Make me a new person. Create me anew in Christ Jesus so that I can accomplish those good works which you prepared for me beforehand. Because I know that God created me on purpose and for a purpose. And he did the same for you. And you are to influence them do not let them influence you. Your circumstances are not going to dictate who you are. It's the truth of Jesus Christ that dictates who you are. God, thank you for tonight. Just thank you for the example of Jeremiah. I'm actually grateful that he went off the rails a couple times because I see myself. I'm very, very similar to Jeremiah chapter 12 and 15. I'm full of complaints. I can, If you would just listen, God, I could tell you how to run this whole show. And yet you remind me that you're the one weaving this tapestry and you have a plan, you have a purpose. And I, I truly, I just want to submit to your purpose for my life, Lord. And the people that are gathered under this tent tonight, Lord, bring us to yourself and use us to change not only the GNCC race and nation, but use us to expand the landscape of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all. I'm Chuck. I'll be here if you need anything. Otherwise, have a great race. and I'll see you in Florida in two weeks.